Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. This song is going out to the mighty, mighty world of women. At that clinic, and you have to make a decision. Is it life? Is it death? I know you must decide. Either way, either choice, it is a long ride. Raise a child, single mom, and will the father be there? You had your fun that night, but I don't think he cares. Bring a life into this world is a big responsibility. Women, can you hear me? Each life is precious, so I ask that you think about it. There are people that can help you, so don't doubt it. It's demanding and you may not have much to give, so hear me out when I say, just let them live. I want you to know that they're precious human life, just let them live. Taking away their chance, I don't think that it's right, just let them live. Taking away their opportunity to go up with the word of prayer. 
and then our founding scripture. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, first of all, we want to lift up to you Melissa and her family, Lord God. We ask you that you continue to strengthen and comfort them in their time of bereavement, Lord God. Father, we thank you for giving us a voice to be able to speak blessings over people and also be able to bring truth and clarity to the issue of pro-life, the things that the mainstream media, Lord God, refuses to talk about. We thank you that you give us a a voice and that we may be able to speak boldly and proclaim that you are the giver and the taker of life in your time. So, Father, we give you glory, honor, and praise in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Thomas, what do you have for us today? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. God said through the prophets that I record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. I normally don't do any commentary, but in light of a decision that is twirling around in my head, I decided to speak. As many of you know, for over a year now, I've been working on something that the Lord moved me to do the Pro-Life Without Exceptions Conference, you know, through a lot of tears, headaches, getting the right team into place, uh, just through sacrifices of even our own Miss Letitia Wong, many others, this was a process that was ongoing for over a year. Well, I've made a decision, May 31st is my cutoff date of deciding whether or not to postpone the conference. The reason being, in this entire year that we've reached out to people, we've only raised a certain amount, and to those people that have supported us, not only financially, but through prayer, I say, God bless you for sowing into good soil. Now, you know, the whole pro-life without exceptions thing, a lot of people don't understand that. They don't, they 
they really don't understand what the exceptions clause is. So this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to ask you a question. And this is dedicated to those in the pro-life movement who think, you know, abortion is acceptable in some cases, rape, incest, and, and in the case to save the mother's life. This is my question. Why do you get to decide? Because my, I was conceived because I was an exceptions baby. Because I was conceived under circumstances that society and a lot of pro-lifers would deem undesirable, why is my life expendable? Why is it okay to throw me away because my conception wasn't perfect? Or my mother was dealing with health issues, or he was raped, or he was a victim of incest. The pro-aborts, they're not going to answer that question because they don't care. But to the pro-life supporters who fall under that category, you need to do a serious, serious evaluation because according to Deuteronomy, Chapter 30, verse 19, there are no exceptions clause in there. Just a little commentary, food for thought for you to chew on. And with that, I throw it back to Letitia. All right, Thomas. Um, yeah, well, we are still praying for the conference. As you have said, it is going to be a phenomenal gathering of pro-life individuals and networks that I believe is going to, I believe this conference is going to spark a cooperation like we haven't seen before in this country, a concerted effort to finally raise the conscience of Americas, of Americans against not just abortion in particular, um, but against abortion, I, I should say abortion in general, but in particular, um, the ease with which people say that exceptions should be made for people who are conceived in rape or incest. Somehow, there's some kind of saving grace that 
that people throw out to the American public, saying, I'm against abortion except in cases of rape and incest, thinking, as many of our Republican and name-only persons like to say in the Republican Party, that, oh, my gosh, we have to make exceptions because everybody thinks there should be exceptions. Well, who's everybody? I haven't seen anybody raise up their voice and say, no, we have to have exceptions because, I mean, that's just the thing we should have. We should have, everybody knows we should have exceptions. I haven't heard that at all. I think what is being done here when people say, I I don't believe in abortion except for in the case of rape or incest, is they're placating people that don't exist. Show me an example of a large movement of Americans that aren't willing to consider that or reconsider the conditions for which people now have abortions or defend abortions. I think Americans are open-minded to that. And I don't believe that just glossing over that or not exploring that is going to help uh, move the dialogue along. I think it's. I think just not talking about it is going to to make it um, just junk it right in the middle. But anyway, yep. I, what I'm going to say is that this conference really, no matter if it happens after the, May 31st, it will happen. I have the full faith and measure in God that it ha- it will happen. It has to happen. Yeah. Because there are too many voices that aren't being heard, and they will be heard. They are. I mean, we know Judah Meyer is Judah Myers is just the most fantastic, articulate gift from God to this world with a testimony that everybody needs to hear. And so is Rebecca Kiesling. If um, if she can make it, I would love to have her back in our conference. Yep. Uh, but let's, let's, yeah. Go ahead, no, absolutely. No, we have we have a speaker lineup. I don't know if you've talked about this on the air or not, but we have a speaker lineup like you wouldn't believe. And I'm not just talking about you and me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all the the golden people that are in this conference, in this on this earth, sent by God to tell us. The very simple fact, not just to tell us, but to show us that everybody's important and everybody matters. There are no disposable people that that we should have in this country legally. But anyway, um, we we certainly will be talking some more about the conference in in the days and the weeks to come. Uh, but let's get to our our topic of the day, which is. I just have to I just have to kind of chuckle because now you know we're we're talking we have been talking about the Kermit Gosnell case. We have been talking about it for many 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 months, and the mainstream media maybe hiccuped his name up like a couple of times. But where you're hearing about it is on social media and alternative media, like the show. And I just, I just want to, I just, I just want to say that God's timing 
whether by design or unintentionally by us conscientious people on the ground, is just fantastic because right now it is fallout time. It is full-on fallout. Before the trial of Kermit Gosnell is even over, they are jury in, in deliberations right now, you know, you know, the abortionist who operated what the media has dubbed the House of Horrors, I would say it's called the House of Horrors and Cat Feces, before the trial is even over, live action has just released its documentary or series of videos called Inhuman. And and it is a series of videos, of undercover videos, showing abortion providers, telling women that babies born alive in abortion should be killed either passively or actively in total violation of the born alive laws that we have, either by state or the federal law. Now, how about that? How about that? The question I'd like to ask is why anyone in the pro-abortion camp cares? Why do they care about Kermit Gosnell? I've heard that Kermit Gosnell's practices are awful, they're horrible, they're disgusting, they're criminal, they, they're, why, why? But why? If abortion is legally on demand without apology, then the Planned Parenthood spokespersons who are now disavowing Gosnell are in a real tight spot because just a month ago, Planned Parenthood said, Planned Parenthood said that a baby who was born alive is still expendable depending on how the adults in the room feel about it. But yet suddenly Planned Parenthood is like, no, no, you know, we don't approve of the things that Kermit Gosnell did and and uh, his practices are bad and, no, it's just horrible. Really? Well, I'm glad that Planned Parenthood is back on its heels because it is about time somebody caught them in a practical lie. They by By coming out and saying that what Kermit Gosnell did and his practices are anything other than, oh, yeah, that's just fine, is a complete contradiction of what they really are. And so I say the timing of the live-action videos are impeccable, is impeccable. And folks, thanks to social media and alternative media like PLFR, like the show, you don't have to suffer the sensory deprivation box that the, the mainstream media tries to put you in or keep you in. So let's talk about these videos. There are probably two that have been publicized really well. If you've been on Facebook or you've been on Twitter, now there have been there are at least two or three more that Live Action has uploaded on YouTube. In each case, near the end of the videos, however, whomever is whomever is on the abortion provider's side tells the woman, the undercover investigator, that if the baby is brought out of the womb, breathing or moving or showing signs of life, there will be no medical intervention provided for that baby and not to expect the baby to live at all. In spite of being born alive. There is one exception. There was in one video. One exception. One of the nurses for 
let me see if I can get this right. Cesare Santangelo in Washington, D.C. Cesare Santangelo is the abortion doctor, the abortionist. One of his nurses did tell the undercover investigator that um, investigator what she herself would have to lawfully do if the baby were born alive, and which is to resuscitate, keep alive, take the baby to the hospital. However, just moments later, she was contradicted by the abortionist himself, who stated that no efforts to save the life of a baby born alive would be made. In fact, Santangelo said that these late-term procedures may induce a woman to go into labor early. And when that happens to some women, they usually go to the hospital, excuse me, where the hospital saves the baby and he calls that stupid of them to do. Stupid. Hospitals are stupid for honoring the Hippocratic Oath and practicing the science of healing. The alternative that Santangelo went on to tell the woman is that she should not go to the hospital, I guess because they're stupid, but to call him and he will make sure no baby leaves his facility alive. The other explosive video is one where the abortion counselor tells the investigator that if the baby is born at home during the abortion procedure, because these these late-term abortion procedures uh, carry over several days, two to three days, um, that if the baby is born at home during the abortion procedure just to flush it down the toilet or, if that weren't bad enough, to bring the baby in a plastic bag to the to the abortion facility and uh, they'll take care of it. They'll take care of it, let me say. All right, okay, okay. Where do we begin? Where do we begin? First of all, I'll make it clear that these videos were taken in multiple places across the country, not, say, in Pennsylvania, where Kermit Gosnell was doing abortions. So to make sure everyone knows the point of these videos, late-term, illegal, born-alive killing of babies happens. It's happening. Maybe in a city or town near you. To put it plainly, there is more than one Kermit Gosnell running abortion mills. Second, every one of these videos had an investigator who was, by measure, by sonogram measuring, over 20 weeks pregnant. The woman who went to Santangelo's facility was measured by ultrasound to be 24 to 26, closer to 26 weeks pregnant, which is past the Roe v. Wade determination of viability. Ah, it is 24 weeks, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. By the numbers established by Roe, these babies could survive outside the womb. And laws were written by the states in accordance with Roe to restrict abortion and protect infants born alive. So in these videos, there was total disregard for the law. So here's where 
we're at. Yes, legal abortion is the law. In order to deal with the kind of varieties of deaths and situations where babies don't die in the murder attempt, the government has to make more laws. So now we run into a real philosophical bind. Because for far too long, it is the pro-abortion left that has told us that government needs to get out of women's uteruses and leave the abortion. And, and we even have conserv- so-called conservative, moderate conservatives, Republicans, tell us that we need to leave the abortion issue alone. Well, how are we leaving it alone if... If, in order to rein in practices like Kermit Gosnell's, we have to make more laws. Now, I don't see a lot of people on the left today demanding more laws and more regulations, even though it has been offered by many legislatures over across many states and even federally. Every single time, the Planned Parenthood lobby, the pro-abortion lobby, and individual, individuals who are pro-abortion have rejected attempts to make regulations of abortion facilities into law. They have rejected every single attempt. Oh, of course, now Planned Parenthood says, yes, maybe we ought to have some regulations. But watch, watch. This, the minute that any legislation is introduced and picked up by the news, what will what do you think Planned Parenthood will do? They will turn around and say and give a hundred reasons why such a law should not be passed. That no regulation is better than any regulation at all. And that's how do I know this? This is their method of operation, and it has been for a hundred years. Not just since Roe v. Wade was passed. This has been the way Planned Parenthood operates has operated for a hundred years. Nearly a hundred years. Somebody's always going to catch me. Oh, you're graduating. It's about a hundred years. The next thing that I wanted to talk about um, real quick was the FDA this week had announced that they're lowering the availability of the Plan B drug to 15 years of old, 15 years and up at pharmacies, and it's available without a prescription. I could spend hours talking about how bad this is, and I've, I've even heard pro-abortion people say, oh, "I don't know if this is such a good idea," even though they are weighing, you know, oh, maybe a 15-year-old may need this pill and doesn't want to tell her parents that, you know, she's had sex and she's afraid she's pregnant and blah, blah, blah. And uh, people need need this. It's empowering. It's yada, 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 all nine years. But even, even those people have some caution with the idea that an actual 15-year-old can go obtain a powerful hormone uh, to take into her body and not expect anything, never to expect anything might go wrong. Well, it's not the 15-year-old so much that I am alarmed at, even though 
Yeah, I think maybe 15 might be a little young for a woman to be taking matters into her own hands. I mean, a 15-year-old girl can't walk into the uh, the mall and get her ears pierced without parental consent or signed written permission from her parents. How can she walk into a pharmacy and just obtain strong, powerful hormones that will fundamentally alter her body chemistry for a time so as to change whatever pregnancy that might occur? Or, my, or ovulation. I mean, that is just, on the face of it, really, really risky. Now, the thing that nobody talked about, that I have not heard anyone, anyone suggest might be a problem, is how many, I think we're going to be surprised, I'm not going to be surprised, but I think people are going to be surprised, how many men are going to be walking into pharmacies to purchase this pill. I want you to think just for a moment. Think what possible reasons this might happen. And I I am almost 100% sure this is going to happen. Thomas, what do you think might happen? When when men come in to the pharmacy and buy this pill, because I know it's going to happen, I, I I am so sure it's going to happen. Well, what do I think going to happen with that, or are you asking me why, why the reason? Why do you think? No, let me rephrase the question because I'm falling out for myself because I'm I'm just thinking about it makes me livid. I'm pretty sure that we're going to see a lot of men purchase Plan B. How might that be a problem? It's a major problem because they'll be covering up the crimes that they're committing against underage teenage girls, underage girls. Exactly. Plan B, without prescription necessary and freely available to just about anybody now is a superb tool for covering up rape and child molestation. Exactly. But Who's you know going what? to be asking questions? Who is going to be asking questions at the point of sale why, why a man would need a plan B pill. Do you think anyone's going to ask? I don't think Let, so. Letitia, let me let me add a final point of clarification to that. They won't be able to ask because the client the person purchasing the pill will cite privacy laws as to why they're purchasing. Isn't that kind of ironic? Absolutely. Oh, it's it's sick ironic. (laughs) It's not the irony that I can appreciate. Yeah. Well, you want to introduce our guests and get our awesome, phenomenal interviews started? Because that's one of the commentaries. That. Right. Oh. I'm going to – let me nail this down for for our audience um, because it bothers me. It it bothers me tremendously. Me too. 
Um, yeah. And and how you know I I got into several you know Facebook dialogues. I mean, people have come out and said, no, it's not an abortion pill. Ah! You know, and it depends on you know how you define what a pregnant woman is. So I mean, there's a school yeah. of thought that says pregnancy doesn't occur until the the newly conceived person actually implants into the uterus. Well, yeah. for me, <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, that really doesn't isn't a very suitable definition of pregnant because Thomas, you weren't exactly implanted in the uterus either when you were uh, exactly. growing up into your, your inside your mom. So, exactly. I mean, under those under that definition, your mom was never pregnant with you. Does that make any sense? Exactly. Exactly. That you know what I have to laugh about that because that I never thought about that, but that is so true. Because see, folks, I was a partial tubal pregnancy, so you can say technically I was my mom was pregnant and not pregnant because I was in two locations at once. So right. yeah, so wow. <laughs> Wow, that, oh, man, what you just said there, Letitia, did hit home for me because I have never thought about that like that, so. Yeah, I I just just don't find a lot of logical reason to subscribe to that school of thought that a woman's not pregnant until the the zygote implants into her uterus. I I find that definition lacking, but... um, we can t- talk about this some more, and I would love to, but I want to bring on our guest. Oh, um, I was watching um, some videos earlier the other day, and I ran across this article that was written by our good friend, Anna Maria Hoffman, who uh, wrote this fantastic article about a student who basically stood up to his entire college campus entire university campus for pro-life and he did get opposition but I think what he contributed much more to the dialogue and to getting people to think about abortion more was phenomenal and I want to welcome him onto the show Uh, Christian how do you say your last name Anzel A-N-D-Z-E-L Christian Anzel, welcome to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. We are so happy you are with us. Thank so you, Keith. Uh, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to be on the show, and I appreciate the uh, the re- reaching out to me to uh, really tell America, you know, what's been going on at the University of Buffalo and standing up for what we believe in. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you can start with a very short version of your story and how you became involved in speaking out against abortion. Yeah, so my, you know, again, one of the biggest reasons I'm pro-life is just because of my humble origins. Um, You know, as much as I know and my parents know, uh, I was conceived in a very uh, impoverished household in Colombia, you know, South America. And amid the socioeconomic status of my family at that point, uh, my mother gave me life, you know, but she didn't just give me life, she brought me to an adoption uh, home, an orphanage, that would bring me to the United States of America. And, and, and because of that opportunity, 
because of that chance. That's why I fight with such passion and aggression for um, others that want to have those same opportunities in life. And so when people tell uh, me or I hear it, you know, other places that, oh, a mother should be able to end the life of her, her preborn child because of her um, lack of money or socioeconomic status, that's a slap in the face to many adopted kids throughout this nation and really a slap in the face to the women that really have uh, persevered uh, through their tough condition to really provide life uh, for the world and to provide uh, future hope that, right. uh, you know, future hope for the world that uh, people can really make a difference in this world. And um, that's, that's, again, that's a really, starts right from my origin. That's that's why I'm uh, mainly pro-life and um, that's why I fight so hard on behalf of the movement. Wow. I mean, I think, I think you kind of blow a hole into this idea that, um, that those that are against abortion are are just you know bigoted white men in America, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. I think I, I think that's I think that's a narrative that they have to stick by, and they really are irritated when people who are not bigoted white men in America stand up for the rights of the unborn. I mean, certainly, I think this this show. I mean, I just don't want to reflect back onto the show too much, but I do want to say that. Thomas, myself, and our third co-host, Melissa, we are not part of the white man, you know, the bigoted white man experience. Uh-huh. Yet there's not there's nothing that we would we would find attractive about the abortion uh position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think so, and um and really quickly I just I think, you know, you look at the you know, look at the people that were protesting uh, at at the University of Buffalo, they were all white people. Um, now there were mm-hmm. some, you know, minorities, but mostly they were all white liberals. And we see today the abortion movement. Again, the people that I see on the forefront of the abortion movement are white liberals. And who are the victims? Racial minorities, um, women, uh, females, right. gender side. So um, this whole this whole notion of white bigoted men part of the pro life movement is just a fallacy uh, because they just want to cover up their own their own bigotries. And uh, you know it's really funny when you know when 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 my fellow peers come to know me that I'm adopted from Colombia, a proud Latino, and you know in a debate I'll uh, run all over them, but it, it'll look like I'm, I've been doing salsa around them the entire time. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, they, they 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 usually don't know what's hit them on, on the university level when it comes to the the, the pro life pro abortion debate. Wow! So tell tell me what happened at your university. Yeah. And so tell um, the story. First, it is a fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Story. So, yeah, it's 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 been a crazy story at that, um, but it's been exciting. So at the beginning, uh, UV Students for Life uh, brought the Center for Bioethical Reform to the University of Buffalo. Um, to put on the Genocide Awareness Project, um, which is a presentation that was right in front of the student union, had a, had a lot of um, visibility, comparing abortion to genocide. We stand by that. I stand by that abortion is a genocide. And we had people up in arms for many different reasons. The major reason was um, we do have a, a, a large Jewish population on campus, and so they were offended um, by the connection of, of the Holocaust and, and abortion. And I simply said to them, look, I'm not comparing really pro-choicers to Nazis. I'm not, I'm not, that wasn't our message. Our message the entire time was, 
Look at the Holocaust. Look at abortion. Look at the Cambodian genocide. Look at the victims. None of them had voices. And that's why we're here today, giving voices to the voiceless. And, um, you know, I told my fellow peers that were Jews, that, that are Jews that were offended, I said, look, we're not dehumanizing uh, your ancestors. If anything, we're promoting human rights to those who need it the most and who needed the most in history. And so we've seen throughout a uh, continuum of history, the government are those in power, the elites, oppressing those without a voice without rights and so that's what we were trying to promote and it was just it was discouraging but it was also sad to see the left on the campus really um uh, you know really paint our message in a different uh, negative viewpoint so anyway there were big protests you know a lot of people were trying to cover the signs uh people were people were uh angry that we had pictures of aborted fetuses um on campus um but again, I, I, I stick by it because of Tisha. I say, if we're going to talk about war, if we're going to be anti-war and, and look at the pictures of war, if we're going to look at pictures of Holocaust, uh, we're going to we're going to look at the pictures of abortion because I'm sick of just having this word abortion mean nothing to people. They think it's a shot. They think all you get is a shot and it's over. But there's a, there 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 are two victims in abortion: um, the woman and the preborn child. And people need to understand what it looks like. We're going to understand what war looks like. We should understand what abortion looks like. And so that was our message. Um, and and for, from that, uh, we had a, a uh, professor, uh, Laura Curry, who, who was, was arrested um, for having a personal moment and, and swearing uh, explicit to, you know, uh, using ex- um, explicit language uh, to, towards our club but also um, just creating an unsafe atmosphere, and that's why the uh, police arrested her. And that 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 video was, uh, you know, broadcasted throughout uh, much of the uh, networks that I saw. Uh, right. People from both, the, yeah, people from both sides saying she should have been arrested, she shouldn't have been arrested. Um, but all I could say is that you know that was up to the police, and we're willing to work that out. But that was a big story. Um, because they were trying to compare, you know, that's a freedom of speech, the expletive, the F word. Um, it's similar to the pictures that we were showing. So um, from then, for the, the next day on Tuesday, um, bigger protests than ever. Um, unfortunately, you know, I had a, a pro-abortion person tell me that I should have been on those boards, um, that I should have been mm-hmm. aborted, and that was that was so hard to hear. You know, Letitia, that wow. was so very hard to hear. That was, that, that was truly... Uh, I can usually take a lot. I've taken a beating on this campus, um, but you know, at the end of the day, I can smile. But that hurt. That hurt real bad. Um, right. And then there was one other time where you know, I kind of, I did break down a little bit because the person, um, there was one person who attacked me for not doing anything after the, they're born, and that's a, that's a common attack you'll get from the other side is we'll, we'll, we'll fight right. for them to be born, but not helping them after. And, and that that that's personal for me because the best time of my entire year. For a week, uh, I get to, uh, for the last few years, I've been able to be a uh, teacher's assistant for Spanish camp. And kids throughout the country um, that were bo- that were adopted from Columbia come to Buffalo, New York, and uh, we, we do a Spanish camp with them. And I absolutely love, I absolutely love those kids. I adore them. They're my brothers and sisters. Um, and and I do anything for them. I love to mentor them. And so being able to mentor them and bring leadership and, and really show them, you know, how to be upstanding citizens, to the best of my ability, that's the best part of my entire year, hands down. 
And so for people to say, and I do other stuff, community service and stuff like that, but when I hear other people say that, you know, attack me personally, um, that I don't do anything for kids, um, you know, after they're born is absolutely absurd because they don't know who I am, but it, it did hurt. But moving forward from that, um, as if that wasn't enough, um, we had um, we had five, I believe six six history professors pen a editorial an editorial into the student newspaper the Spectrum UB Spectrum with very slanderous remarks revisionist history um, you know these these professors are all pretty much left wing um, it's really it was a really disgusting show and a disgusting editorial. In short, they, they labeled the pro-lifers on campus um, as people that lynched black people. Right. I, want that, I want that to really resonate. I, I, we have history professors, you know, Susan Kahn, Carol Emberton, Teresa Runstetter, Lakeisha Simmons, Victoria Walcott, and Jason Young. These are professionals who are writing into the student newspaper Calling me and the the kids in under in the club, similar to those who lynched the black people, and they put forth this this tale, this revisionist history that said we were trying to control women's bodies, we're trying to protect, be protective like the whites were protective of their women against black. People. That is absolutely that may have happened, but to say that we are like that is absolutely egregious, and we have to step up, we have to stand up and demand, demand accountability and, and I think an apology because it was absolutely disgusting how they termed that. Um, is, I, I was the video, mm-hmm. Right. Is the video, that there's a longer video and a short video, which one of those is the one that um, has has you um, talking about an editor- the editorial? Yeah, so that's, I'll get to that. That's um, Victoria Walcott. Um, okay. I'm, I'm I'm definitely getting to that. Um, okay, so we'll play that. We'll story. play that clip. Um, oh, okay. Hey, it's a Christian. Before you, before either of you two go on, this is Thomas. Let me jump in here. It's very interesting that they had the audacity to compare what you guys are doing, fighting for life, fighting for life to what was done to black people, the lynching of black people. But mm-hmm. let's 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 scratch our head on this for a minute. Who's killing who? Yeah, what exactly. organization founded for the extermination, for the express written extermination of black people? Planned Parenthood. So this is what I this is what I encourage you to do, Christian, because I'm a I'm a black man conceived under an exceptions clause. That's a term that I coined, which is defined as those situations or circumstances that society, including a lot of pro-abortion or pro-life supporters, deem is acceptable for for abortion. So this is what I say to you in that. Don't worry about an apology in protecting the babies and in protecting the mothers, do do one more thing. Cut off the head of the snake. What I mean by cutting off the head of the snake is this. Expose Planned Parenthood's racist, not racist past, because they're still racist. And then any time 
they throw that up in your face again. Give them give them a history lesson and say, excuse me, you need to go look. And then pull up the pictures. There are pictures, if you haven't seen them, of um, Margaret Singer standing on the box at a Ku Klux Klan rally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, these, these, again, these, these six professors just use their own revisionist history to fit their own political agenda, and it's absolutely That's egregious that. that they would pen that. Um, and, you know, I, I, I have, I have a, um, one of the professors, Carol Emberton, I, I took her class in the Civil War, and she, she taught about the abolitionist movement. She's educating the abolition, abolitionist movement. So for her, her to say that we were using, you know, uh, uh, absurd pictures or exaggerated pictures, She's the one that taught us that the abolitionist movement used pictures to be able to turn public opinion. That's so it's, exactly. it's, hypocrit- it's hypocritical to the max. We've seen it before, but I've had enough of it. UV students have had enough of it, and we're willing to take a stand. Um, and that's what counts. You know, we've had enough of the bigotry, the hatred from these professors, and it's time that we take a, fir- uh, a step forward in the right direction, promoting life, promoting true tolerance, true diversity, and the ability to stand up for oneself and academic freedom. Um, and now moving forward, we have the debate. Um, again, uh, it was, it's, been an, it's been an insane couple weeks here at the University of Buff. We had a debate, second annual debate, pro-life versus pro-choice. And, um, you know, we had a, um, I had a, the, the opponents lined up for the last two and a half, three months. A week, about nine days before the debate, I get an email from the, the other side saying they're going to have to pull out for whatever reason. So left me in a tough position. Again, I also had Anna Franzanello from Americans United for Life coming from D.C. to debate alongside me. Um, and so we needed pro-choicers to be able to debate our pro-aborts. And at the um, Genocide Awareness Project, you know, I was egging them on. I wanted to, you know, you guys are supposed to stand up for what you believe in. You got 200 of you guys. Um, you know, why not promote what you what you believe in? And we got two people. One was One's a TA and one was an undergraduate. And, uh, you know, there's a link of my closing statements on my own, on my own Facebook and whatnot, but it, it, was, it was truly, it was, it was sad to see. I'm, I'm still glad that they participated in the debate, but, um, you know, one, one uh, person walked out because um, they thought they were set up because um, I only gave them 72 hours to, to prepare. But, look, they accepted. I mean, I was just looking for anyone to debate against and prove that the pro-life position wins, um, uh, not, just, not just from a moral standpoint, but science and philosophy um and i mean we both of them were saying um, they were standing against 90 percent of the american people when they said they would not protect they would not protect an eight nine month fetus and this is the extreme that we're seeing on campuses this is the extreme of the pro-abortion movement and um, I'm glad that we were able to to really show the university how extreme people people are going to go on that side. You know, you talk to you know ten pro-lifers, you'll get one answer: when life begins, when a human being deserves life. You'll talk to ten pro-choicers, and you'll get ten different answers. Um, that was just evident through the debate, and it was, you know, we changed hearts and minds that that evening because we understand that with science and philosophy, we can um, justify that the pre-born are human beings. And they are not uh, part of the woman's body. They may be inside the woman, but they are not part of it. They are a distinct, separate human being. Um, right. And then lastly, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Now, I was just about to ask you that in this debate, you know, how many people attended, and and did did people really seriously take that take uh, the pro-life position into consideration? If not, change their uh, mind. 
Yeah, so um, 250 people attended and about 150 people protested, again, because they were unhappy with the amount of preparedness from the other side. Um, I mean, the, I mean, for, there was something that happened. There was a pro-choice around the audience who yelled at the person representing the pro-choice side and said, you don't know anything. So we saw divisiveness in at the debate on the pro-choice side. And so we really saw... Guys, we really saw the crumbling of the pro-choice position before our very eyes because we understand, and I think Americans throughout the nation will understand, that once we put forth a position, a platform based on science and philosophy that that defend the pre-born and that they deserve uh, human rights like you and myself, we're going to win this debate, and we're going to win it uh, with social change. Um, It's going to start with us young people, but it's got to be able to resonate with the average American, and I believe that's what we did on on Thursday night when we debated and when we successfully defended our position. That is awesome. You know, I really think that that has to happen uh, in every university across the country. I mean, not just at one, and then you get to watch the video online, but at every university this debate needs to take place. And, you know, as much as it it, you set one up in a a lecture hall probably (laughs) – uh, yeah. where people came to attend, the debate actually happened out on the sidewalk, you know, with mm-hmm. with people screaming in your face, with with people wanting to cover up your signs, with the mm-hmm. Genesis Awareness Project, a gen- I mean, sorry, the Genocide Awareness Project. I really think that that is where, on the sidewalk, where people begin to think. Um, because when they get over their knee-jerk reaction to Uh whatever they place on you, whatever they project onto pro-life, pro-conscientious people, when they finish, you get the opportunity to tell them how inconsistent their thinking is. And if they were really compassionate, tolerant human beings, as they profess to be, then maybe they should be open, a little bit more open, to recognizing the life that exists within every pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I just want to, I, I really think that this type of dialogue needs to happen, and it needs mm-hmm. to happen on our college campuses because Definitely. how much, yeah. how often, now you, we have this example from a professor, is it the 22-second um, video yeah, and that, and if you would like me to explain kind of the context of it, I certainly yeah, can. Yeah, do, and then I uh, want to play it for us. <laughs> okay, so um, a couple of my friends uh, take the class of uh, Victoria Walcott, who was one of the professors who wrote the egregious column in, in the spectrum. Right. And uh, I went into her class, and ironically enough, she was talking about the feminist movement, the 80s, Reagan, whatnot. And uh, her TA noticed me. Her TA was actually at the debate. And so her TA went over to the professor, Victoria Walcott, and told her I was sitting in. So Professor Walcott comes up to me and says, you know, if you disrupt this class, I'll ask you to leave. I said, not a problem. I don't even want to disrupt your class. I'm not going to stand up and scream and make a hissy fit. That's not who I am. So uh, she goes on with lecturing, and she's talking about Reagan, you know, how bad he is and the deficits. And then she asks, are there any questions? And I looked around, no one's asking any questions as usual. So I raised my hand. I said, um, I just 
would like it to be known that, you know, we did win the Cold War without firing a shot. Um, and she said, oh, okay, yeah, I know, we'll get to that. And I, I, I asked my friends later on, she never did. Um, but then I continued on with a statement. And I said, oh, I just wanted to make sure that they knew that, kind of like they knew your students knew that you had written into the spectrum that pro-lifers are uh, similar to those who lynched black people. And at that point, she started screaming, and I'm just trying to get to my second question. And my question was trying to get at, can you back up with historical in, uh, accuracy or facts, um, how you can make that comparison? But she started yelling and, and, dis and creating this disruption in class, and um, you know, saying she was going to call the campus police, um, and and I and I and I'm in the video, and I, you can hear me say, it. I said that's fine, because I have a good rapport with the police, and if I'm going to be in trouble for asking a question and trying to provide a statement, boy, we have bigger problems on this university. Um, and I and I, you know, I stand by what I did. I did um, on behalf of those who have been told that they're wrong from the elite from those who have been told by their liberal professors, you don't know what you're talking about because you don't have a Ph.D. And, um, you know, so she uh, called the police 30 minutes later and, and, and reported me. I'm now being charged with two, two counts against the student code of conduct. Um, I just went in today for my hearing. And I think, it's a, I think the student-wide judiciary is setting a dangerous precedent if they're going to say that I disrupted the class because all I did was respectfully and calmly ask a first question, followed up by a statement and attempting for a third question or for a second question. But where the disruption really came, Leticia, where the disruption really came from, was the professor started yelling above me, and then screaming that she was going to call the police. At the same time, I'm sitting at the at the um, at my desk or the table and just asking a calm question. So the question is, when when this trial or if if it, with with the plea deal, we'll see what happens next week. But what wow. is really disruption? If the university is now going to say that asking a question or a statement that the professor disagrees with or finds offensive, if that is now termed "quote unquote" uh, disruptive, end quote, we are in trouble for academic freedom and for freedom of speech around the university. And I'll be the first one stand strong on the pillars of freedom around not only just the world but and, and the country, but at our universities, where there's supposed to be a diverse, um, a diverse thinking of thinking, um, of action, and uh, inclusiveness. And as we're seeing right now, uh, that is not being provided at the University of Buffalo in terms of in the classroom. When you have a professor that writes a student up based on raising his hand, respectfully and calmly asking a question with a follow-up question and statement. You know, freedom's not looking too hot right now at the University of Buffalo. We need to take a stand as students to be able to defend our views and defend our freedoms. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Let me let me play this for our, um, for our archive and so that our listening audience can see exactly what was going on. And so this is the encounter between in the class. I need to read. We're calling to the police. No, it's not. All right, I'm going to keep going and put the clock on the side. And that was all. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I... Uh, 22 yeah. seconds. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And, and you know, I did leave saying that the, the actions were reprehensible um, because, you know, here I am just trying to ask a question again, asking for historical analysis and, and factual and facts to see how she can make such a claim. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just yelled over, um, you know, no, 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 no respect at all. And, again, I walked out on my own when she asked me to leave. But now I find myself being persecuted on two charges of invading the, um, the student code of conduct. So it's, mm. uh, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's another way for academia to silence those who don't always believe what they believe. Right. And, uh, so again, you... I just really call for students to stand up for what they believe in and stand strong because this is a fight that we have to have. Right. What are you looking at? I mean, they're, you're, they're, charging, they're charging you. This is funny because this is like a college campus, and I'm like, this is, does this have a real force of law in it? <laughs> I'm not really sure yeah. about that. Um, but what are they charging you with um, as far as, as – um, your consequences if they think that you disrupted her class? They well, the first charge is disruption. And, again, I'm contesting was what I did real honestly <laughs> disruption. And the second right. thing is um, reasonable request. She states in her in her um, witness statement, I guess you'd say, that she repeatedly asked me to um, to not dis- disturb class, and, you know, she didn't repeatedly ask me, ask me that. She had told me, and I agree with her, I don't want to disrupt, but again, it comes down to what is disruption, and uh, that's the debate I guess we're going to have, um, you know, come Wednesday, and if it goes to a trial. Um, now, the punishment, which is what you were referring to, um, there will be a plea deal Wednesday, regardless, and it'll be a softer, you know, sentence, I guess you'd say, and it would be something along the lines of um, maybe like 15 hours of community service and, a, and an apology letter, an apology letter to Dr. Walcott. Um, now, I don't know what that apology letter would con- have to consist of, but that, that, that was just thrown around by some of the um, experts that I talked to today. And if I ended up pushing for a trial, uh, it, that would um, heighten the uh, punishment if, if I was not found innocent. Um, that would be like maybe 50 hours of community service. But I think the, 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 how, how I will decide most likely is if the plea deal... Um, consists of not having it on my permanent record. You know, I want to be able to go to law school. This is why I want to be a lawyer. I want to stand up for those that, that whose freedoms are being lost every day. And, um, you know, I don't want this to be a, a huge, you know, black in the road. Right. Um, you know, so, so uh, you know, I, I would pick something that is most favorable to me in the long run while still maintaining my dignity in terms of the uh, quote-unquote apology letter. Um, but then if, if, if the... If they do not promise with a plea deal um, that the there will be no um, permanent thing on my record, then I'll do the trial most likely, and I'll be able to present my case. That again, um, this is this is freedom of speech. This is not disruption. Um, disruption is standing up, shouting, screaming, you know, the usual antics from from a certain um, ideology, right? And that that was not what I did. I, I was sitting down. I was respectful. I was calm. And uh, mm-hmm. that's a debate that we're going to have in the, in the by the courtroom if it goes into the trial. Wow. Well, we'll certainly be praying for that. Um, I, you know, what I've never known. I never knew that colleges or universities had their own kind of, I guess, legal procedures 
where they can actually put students on trial for things that they didn't like. This is kind of new to me. It's, it's a little bit, I, I know this is kind of serious for you at this time, place and time, but it's kind of comical at the same time think, thinking, because this has no, you know, this has no force of law behind it. And it's it's kind of like, a you know, the university going through a motion that, that I, I don't know, why does it have to be a trial? Why does this have to be an issue where, you know, you have to have, you have to have um, peers to yeah. decide the fate of uh, one of their one of their own, which is you know it's, it's kind of funny, I guess. I know yeah. it's not my, funny, funny, but it's strange. Yeah. <laughs> and my friend, my friend called it the uh, uh, Soviet Politburo. You know, here they are right. with their gu- their gulag style tactics of um, suppressing speech in a classroom, suppressing academic <laughs> freedom, academic diversity. And it, it is a little bit, to be honest, it is a little bit uh, over the top, I think. I think that the professor certainly overreacted. Um, and, and I, and oh, absolutely. It, this has nothing has, to do yeah. with what you actually said. This has, I mean, far be it from them to actually address something that happened. This is all about power and control. And this is all Definitely. about bullying a student who dared stick his neck out and say something. Isn't it ironic, Leticia, that those that in the 60s and 70s were rebelling against their student government or against the, 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 the quote-unquote establishment, um, those are the people that are now control, in control of our universities and now are the That's ones right. that are suppressing speech like never before. It's the utmost hypocrisy of yeah, what we correct. are seeing on our campuses today. You are a hundred percent correct, and you know, and, and you're not the first person I think that that has has been the victim of this bullying. I think it's gone on for for a while, uh, ever since probably the late '80s, when you know the pro- when these students were um, were young in the '60s. You know, by the '80s, they began to get professorships and their grad student mm-hmm. status, and they moved into those positions of power uh, where they were able to control the speech of others. I think um, by now, I think they're most of them are are close to retirement age, but their successors have been brought up in a system they created in a very mm-hmm. liberal mindset. And so kind of the legacy carries on, and there's nothing like liberalism. It spreads like a disease. And, <laughs> um, Obama and, here and so, got it. Don't worry. Don't worry. Obama <laughs> here got it. <laughs> it's just yeah, Thomas. Christian Leticia, before Christian, before you go, um, I think someone wants to say hello to you. I'm not going to tell you who it is. I'm just going to let them say hello. <laughs> hey, no, Carl, would you like to say hello to our guest? What was that? Hello? Hello? Yes, hello. Am I on? Yes. Hello? Yes, you are on. Oh, Thanks. Sorry. Well, well I Oh, thank you. Uh, this is Aisha, and I just wanted to call in and talk about how proud I am of Christian. Um, I'm the president of the Frederick Douglass Foundation here in New York, and follow a lot of the things and how Christian stands up. And I mean, um, so I just wanted to give him kudos and say. You know, as we watch all of the things going on around us and to see this young man stand
standing up like a shining star in the midst of everything and just saying I'm going to do the next right thing because it's the next right thing is really um, a blessing to everybody that watches what he's doing. Um, and so I just wanted to call in and say, you know, as those listening and saying, good job, and I'm so glad that he's on and that the things that he's going through that he's not willing to be silent about. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It means a lot. Um, it really, really means a lot. And, again, it's it's the uh, – it's the it's the minorities that are stepping up in this case, and you know as as a you know as an African American woman, I'm proud for you to be alongside me, and and you know we gotta we we really have to uncover the lies of like Thomas was saying earlier, the Planned Parenthood, you know, and and really going after um you know the racial minorities. And thank you for for the call, I really appreciate it, Aisha. No problem. Remember, you know, all throughout history too, when you guys were talking about the uh you know like the people in power now. All throughout history, you see this, you know, this phenomenon. It's a psychological phenomenon where the enslaved become the enslavers. All throughout history, and it's like, you know, these people, as you're saying, you know, in our government, the, you know, the baby boomers, they're doing the same thing as they felt oppressed. Now they're oppressing, and you see That's it right. in all of these different societies all throughout history where you're like, man, you would think at one point, you know, America actually is one of the only places that that had never happened before. You know, every American experiment was, you know, the forgiveness of Christ and letting those things go. But now we're seeing where, all, you know, all of these uh, more liberal mindsets are getting permeating in our culture, and now we're, you know, again, the oppressed are becoming the oppressors. But I'm done now. Thank you. And I'll be following Christian soon. Trust me, he is one to watch. We're all going to be coming up after him going, hey, he passed us by. So keep up the great work, Christian. <laughs> oh, Thank yeah. You. And I would ask you, Aisha, to not just to follow him, but to, you know, he's he's being a person that's not in college anymore. I kind of have to laugh at his little trial that's going on. And I know it's serious for him, so I don't want to laugh at him, but I'm going to laugh at the situation. Um Pray for him, and that the student oh, body yeah. that is that is now responsible for listening to what went on, and we played the encounter that that we're talking about. It is probably it is twenty. The video clip is twenty two seconds long. I sincerely think the actual encounter was less than ten. And for all of that, you know, he has to be put through this uh, experience just to prove that you know, a certain professor is angry and wants to take it out on him. So, right. And it's just you know, a long line of things that they've had to suffer. through the, You know, right. and again, I know it's just one, you know, group of people and a whole line of things, but that one voice is really standing up for all of those other people and students and organizations along the way that weren't right. able to be as bold as what, you know, is saying, okay, I am going to stand up for myself and, and say something. And you know, it's a great thing, you know, that I mean it's a true leadership quality that I think that we're missing today. You know, he's not a weak advocate. Nobody likes a weak advocate. So yeah, so Frederick Douglass Foundation of New York, please stand with uh Christian here, pray with him, pray for him and stick close to the story and you know, I, I would love to see you know what you know what would be great is if um the university set wants to somehow make this an issue if it got away from them 
so I'm, I'm saying hint, hint, hint. If the pro-life community in Buffalo, New York, Frederick Douglass Foundation of New York, wants to make this a big, big issue, I say make it a big issue. They oh, want to well, make- we're... Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I think we're trying to wait to see what the outcome. I know he has a session coming up and to see right. what happens with that before, you know, saying, okay, yeah. you know. Well, we'll definitely follow the story. This is, this is, a, this is a great story um, on, on all fronts. I mean, to, to not just to expose the prejudice and the bias of a liberal campus, but also the courage of, and the simplicity of standing up for what you believe and simplicity of standing up for the pro-life uh, message. There isn't anything complicated about this. There really isn't. So um, I, I definitely want to um, follow this story. So keep us informed of what happens, and we will definitely be praying for you. Thank you, and I'll definitely keep everyone informed. Um, we won't leave any stone uncovered. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll fight for, for, for the rights of students and for myself. So I thank you, though. Awesome. Well, let, let, I want to let you know you are not alone, um, not alone in what happened to you and also not alone in the support um, for what you're trying to do and accomplish. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that have just really been uplifting have been the emails, you know, from across the nation, from Nevada to Michigan to you know, all these other states, just to really honestly reach out and just say thank you for standing strong on, on our principles, American principles, the the belief that every uh, everybody, no matter how small or if they have a disability or what, deserves the right to life. And I think that's such an American cornerstone that we have to advocate on behalf of. And for other people to recognize that is truly special. And, and I'm humbled and I'm thankful because this would be so much harder, so much harder if if we didn't have the support. And the Buffalo pro-life community, hands down, I always say it's the number one pro-life community in America. Um, now, obviously, I'm a little bit biased, but um, <laughs> this, 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 yeah, this last, this last uh, week or so, I've truly seen the pro-life community of America really reach out and you know, say, we're with you. We stand wow. with you because you stand for those that are voiceless. And for that reason, I'm truly thankful. Keep it up and keep it informed. I want to thank you for coming on our program, and we will talk to you again real soon. All right. Thank you so much, right. Patricia Thomas. Thank you so Take much. Take care. And Aisha, thank you so much for calling in and sharing that you are you are engaged in this. That is so good to hear. I, I hate to think that he was alone, and he is not alone, but uh, he's just become the face and, and the person that has to kind of take the brunt of the of the abuse at this point. But uh, I just wanted to thank you for being involved. Oh, no problem. It's my <laughs> honor. Like I said, um, you know, working and watching Christian and, and the things he's doing is is uh, been really great. You know, young man that's just right there, and I, I expect very great things from him. Even before this incident, I think. You know, God gives us trials sometimes to see just the character that we are, and like everything else, He handles it like a champ. So, I guess I'm I'm just proud that we have the opportunity to stand with Him, uh, while Him and His organization, what He's done with the UB Students for Life, is great too. So, wonderful. Well, thanks for calling in, 
and you can hear. All right. Have a great day. Have a great day. Hey, Thomas, I did one. This reminds me. I wanted to give us an update on what's happening with Brian Westbrook here in St. Louis. Um, okay. Like I said, I told I told I told that Christian that he is not alone in, in his experience, and Brian Westbrook certainly um, has a similar experience. Now, this is the actual force of law. He did have to go to court, and his court date was earlier this week uh, to end the charge against him for false advertising, uh, the free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests sign that he was holding out in front of Planned Parenthood here in St. Louis. And so um, that is an interesting story. I, I will have him back on to tell the full story when the sentence is, uh, when the judge has handed his sentence. He, they're still waiting for that. But the update is um, the the arresting officer had admitted under oath that he never asked Brian whether or not it was he himself personally that was offering free ultrasounds and free pregnancy tests. Because, you know, Brian was holding a sign to refer women to Thrive Pregnancy Resource Center. Right. And so on that technicality, you know, they, they said it was false advertising. And and uh, I guess this cop had some kind of axe to grind, but he, he decided to arrest Brian and charge him with this sign violation, which has never, ever been a problem. And most officers have just come up, you know, whenever, this is volatile Planned Parenthood. We get cops coming up to us all the time. But they're okay. They're actually okay with us because we are not violating any laws. But anyway, this happened. The trial happened, and Brian defended himself very well. He had two awesome lawyers that basically gave gave the police department a beatdown about the law. Right. And now we're just waiting to see what happens. That's cool. I'm glad he was. Right. So we're going to take a very short break, and we will be right back. You're listening to Pro-Life Fridays Radio on Blog Talk Radio, and we'll be back for our next guest.
society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. I do not join in the belief that the African is our equal in brain or in heart. We are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all. The laws of nature require the obliteration of the unfit. The best way to hate a nigger is to hate him before he is born. American eugenicists were routinely praising Hitler and holding up the Nazi eugenics program as a model for the United States to copy. Non-white races must be excluded from America. The red and black races, if left to themselves, revert to a savage or semi-savage state in a short time. The only way possible of decreasing Negro population is by means of controlling fertility. Birth control facilities could be extended relatively more to Negroes than to whites, since Negroes are more concentrated in the lower income and education classes. We hope that the restraint of population growth can come about through voluntary means. But if it does not, involuntary methods will be used. There should be national sterilization for certain dysgenic types of our population who are being encouraged to breed and would die out for the government not feeding them. If this movement continues, we soon may be accused of fighting poverty by eliminating the poor and overcoming hunger by removing the hungry. For all their failures, what the eugenics movement had accomplished was to lay the foundation for the next phase of their plan. And this is where they would find the success that they had been chasing for over 100 years. And welcome back to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. I'm your host, Letitia Wong. On with me is... I'm with me is Thomas Smith, and our next guest is going to is Joe Baker from Save the Stork. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks for bringing me on. Hey, so I found out about Save the Storks, which I am very excited to talk about, through a website. I think I think it's through your website. I don't know how I found it. But I started reading about how um, it started with kind of your idea of helping women to get obtain ultrasounds who otherwise would not get an ultrasound before they got an abortion. So that intrigued me, and I was, I have been intrigued ever since. And I love the name. I I like what you're doing. And so please tell us a little bit more about what you um, how you came to this idea and what the Safe the Storks do. Yeah, that that really was the original vision. Uh, we realized that 84 um, percent of abortion uh, committed women women who have an abortion later say that uh, that they felt abortion was their only choice. Uh, they felt like it was their only option. They fell back into a corner where they they felt like they had to have an abortion. And so uh, there's all these awesome pregnancy centers out there, and it doesn't make any sense to me why, you know, a woman would feel that way. And really the reason why most women feel that way is because they don't even know that there are resources available to them, that there's anyone in their corner to back them up. And so we decided what if we went mobile and built a vehicle that is, 100% 100% conducive for sidewalk counseling, and then offered a woman right on the street just kindly the 
free services of, of a free pregnancy test, a free sonogram, and then for her to hear us out on the resources available for her if she decides to keep her baby. And it was remarkable. Uh, three out of five of the women who board our bus uh, decided to keep their baby. And uh, this is just an amazing thing when that happens because uh, the, then the pregnancy center enters into a lifelong relationship with them where they're able to provide all sorts of wonderful resources like counseling and classes and discipleship and then also material things like food and clothing and uh, sometimes even shelter uh, to these girls as well. Wow. Tell tell me about the first bus that you you've had made for you and the process that you obtained this and just kind of I mean I'm just dying to know what that adventure was like. <laughs> yeah, uh the, the these vehicles are made by a Mer- are are made by Mercedes-Benz and the whole interior is this amazing, you know, piece of artwork at the end of the day. We went high end on everything and yet um, got are able to get them at a reasonable price. Um, and uh, our first vehicle went to Dallas, Texas, and was remarkably successful there. And uh, what we're doing now is we, we have another bus coming off the line this week, which we're really excited about. And there's four pregnancy centers right now that want it. And wow. uh, once we which one's going to take this one, we're going to uh, try to provide two or three more this year. And so it's an exciting year for our, or, for our, our organization. Wow, so your your first bus, how did you how did you even think of getting, you know, where do where do I go? Like you start out with women need to obtain these ultrasounds. How do I possibly provide this service? And how did you think of a van and how did you get the van and how did you get it outfitted with an ultrasound machine? Yeah, those those are good questions. I have to say that uh, we were not the ones who pioneered this kind of mobile um, pregnancy center work. Uh, there, there was a pregnancy center in New York City uh, called the EMC Pregnancy Center that was just reporting remarkable statistics of st- saves at their abortion clinic. And we got there, and we were, I was just amazed at how easy it was when you're not there to protest or be an activist, but they're just offering professional services how easy it was to get these girls aboard. And then what was so beautiful about it, it was ultimately the bonding of the mother and the baby that would persuade her to keep it and to mother it and the parent of that child. And so um, just seeing all that in action uh, kind of blew my mind. I I grew up as an activist. Um, I mean, I I grew up always out there, and I've done every kind of pro-life activism that there is. uh, Awesome. Signs and... Megaphones, and we, we've done every. I mean, I've been always a part of different things. And I, uh, whenever we did have a chance to talk a girl out of an abortion, I've never been able to really get her phone number. I've never really been able to really have a long-term relationship with her. And what what blew my mind in New York City was not only were these girls being persuaded to life, but it was a professional service where they took all of their data down right at the beginning and pursued a long-term relationship with her. Uh, and now on our new buses that are state-of-the-art, like we take all that data down on an iPad as soon as she boards. And it, it's a very natural thing to just begin that relationship and 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 have it both be, you know, professional and also, you know, caring for her um, physical and, and spiritual needs at the same time. Very nice. I mean, that it, it's an exciting thing to hear about. You know, we we have 
we have you've heard me talk about Thrive, our, our probably our most aggressive um, pregnancy resource center here in St. Louis, where I live, and they yeah. have they have a mobile clinic where they um, they're literally parked across the street from the Planned Parenthood clinic here um, that does surgical abortions, and we that that is kind of that was you know when I was talking about the the whole. Brian Westbrook getting arrested. I hope he's listening because I'm talking about him. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the the sign that he was carrying was for referring women to that mobile clinic, and oh. um, so they they had that clinic parked across the street most days of the week, and it is a godsend. It really is such a godsend. Instead of having to refer uh, women to somewhere else where you have to draw them a map and, you know, hope that they go, um, you can literally say, let's walk across the street right now and and take care of you. And so we have a lot of I, – I can see that why the demand for your – for these uh, buses is so high, and uh, your inspiration is is great. So tell us a little bit about what saved the how to save the storks come into play. Yeah, um, well, I, I knew the brand was kind of crafty and provocative to begin with, and like, and our vision for it. But I had no idea how powerful it was until I was at an Apple store with my wife, and we were wearing a shirt that said. Uh, 50 million storks shot down since 1973, referring to uh, the date that abortion was legalized in America. And I'm wearing this shirt, and this woman came up to me, and she physically turned me around, and she was visibly upset and wanted to ask me, she says, who is out there killing storks? She's like, she really was concerned. And it kind of blew my mind that, like, this woman was, like, that concerned about these mythical birds. And, um, and yeah, and, and so and so very very quickly I realized, you know, this is, this is a brand that's going to go a long way. It's going to be something that, you know, is really, is really going to attract people. Well, well that lady, uh, I, I let her on for a little bit. I explained to her that, you know, someone in North Dakota was shooting them down or something and, it got her going, and then eventually my wife nudged me, and so, and so I ended up telling her. I said, I said that's about enough of that. So, I said, uh, actually, we're a pro-life nonprofit that's providing these mobile medical units to women right at the door of an abortion clinic, and we're able to offer all of the wonderful resources to these women who are at the verge of making the decision for life or not. And this woman's face went like totally white. And she looks at me and she's like, I am totally pro-choice. And it just came right to me. Out of nowhere, I shared that same statistic I shared earlier. I said, well, that's really good because we found that 84% of women who've had an abortion later feel like abortion was their only choice. So what we're able to do is we're able to give these women the alternative options to abortion, and three out of five of them end up keeping their baby and loving their baby and and are eternally grateful for us for being there. And it's like she had she had quite the dilemma in her hands because if if uh if she if she's against what we're doing still she's really not pro choice. You know, we're right. we're there offering the alternative choice. And at the same time all of her convictions have suddenly been exposed because she's, you know, so visibly concerned about these mythical birds. But when it comes down to a real baby that's born and alive and that people love it was she she was kind of at a 
at a crux in her thinking, trying to figure out what to do. And um, it was I, I don't I, I don't remember exactly what happened. I think we got distracted away at the Genius Bar there at the Apple Store. But um, <laughs> that, that same conversation happens everywhere we go. And wow. It's, uh, it's it's a remarkable place to start the abortion discussion because it it's kind of it kind of starts it at a place where you're really able to kind of smile and laugh. I mean, you can't even say the name of our ministry without smiling. It's it's we we've worked really hard to try to open that conversation boldly and yet not just kinda of tick everybody off that you know, right. immediately as they see us. And I, I think we've really um you know, we've re- really accomplished that with our brand. I, I think it's really cute. Uh, you know, at the same time, we're like, no, babies aren't des- delivered by storks. What are you talking about? But at the same time, it's really cute that um, it is an attention grabber, and it's very disarming. I have to admit, yeah. it's very disarming. And so I have to credit you with the, the cleverness of that. It's very, like I said, it's very cute. So I tell me a little bit more about, um, so you're tra- helping the Pregnancy centers. Now, is it mainly in Texas that that this is happening, or are, are you operating in different states? Yes. Yeah, so the first the first vehicle that we started with went to Dallas, Texas, and now we're uh, we want to put buses all over the country. The vision that God's given me is uh, all the NFL cities, all the big cities in America. And wow, we're, we're just working one at a time here, and it's amazing. Um, just the response we've gotten. Um, we have a very unique product when it comes to mobile units. We really have thought through every bit of it to make it totally conducive for sidewalk counseling. I mean, this vehicle can fit in a single parking spot, you know, and it doesn't have to have a generator or anything loud. Those are some of the most difficult parts of having a, an RV at an abortion clinic. Um, one, um, a number of cities have noise ordin- ordinances, so if you have a, mm. a generator running, they shut you down. And if it's too big, they they shut you down. And so, like, we've thought through a lot of the aspects of of how to best do this at an abortion clinic and have designed the vehicle specifically for that. Well, awesome. So what states are you currently looking at placing mobile um, ultrasound vans or buses at? Yeah, I can't give you specifics yet because we're still in the process of signing contracts, but I can tell you some states where we're now talking to a pregnancy center in Oregon and Virginia. Uh, there's another one in Texas. There's one in Illinois, and there's also Southern California. Those are the ones where we're really having a serious dialogue about uh, and getting trying to get our uh, legal ducks in a row uh, before we pull the trigger and announce where the next bus is going. But uh, awesome. we're going to be producing quite a few buses in, over the next couple of years. Right. Wow. So do you mainly just uh, – now, is this your your mission just to produce the buses, or did you operate them with maybe a staff that actually have an ultrasound tech and you're actually meeting people um, outside pregnancy uh, – outside abortion clinics and pregnancy centers? Well, it's definitely not me in the back giving the sonogram at the end of the day. <laughs> that would that certainly be wild. Um, the, what we do is we, we partner with pregnancy centers, and then we allow them to provide all of 
their resources. And we really are just helping them go from defensive to offensive, meaning that Mm -hmm. defensive kind of waits for the girl to come in the crisis to them. Now we want to help them broaden their market by going to that girl that really needs them. And it's, um, it's our heart to, to partner with the pregnancy center. And then we help subsidize the vehicle. So we take national donations, which then go, uh, go to uh, a vehicle for a pregnancy center. They they raise some of the money, we raise some of the money, and then we come together. And then we also train them to use it. And uh, we offer, we, we we sometimes will overhaul their website and their branding to make sure everything's outstanding and, and just, just, just help them, like, uh, come up with some marketing to raise the money. Uh, and there's a couple other things we provide, but it's really just that partnership with a pregnancy center and consulting with them to help them you know, broaden their market in this way. But the one other thing I want to share about, too, is uh, we have a very unique um, way of uh, working with the abortion clinic. And we're we're not an organization that wants to in any way have any kind of hostility uh, with the local abortion clinic that we're in front of. So long mm-hmm. before we get there, we offer a whole packet of information to them, telling them, here's what we do, here's what we don't do, and and we also offer that to the police, and we show them our policy and procedure manual. And it's we say, you know, this is going to be a total totally professional operation. We're not going to stop anyone from having an abortion. What we're going to do is we're going to offer your customers the alternatives uh, in a total legal fashion. And mm-hmm. w- what that's done is it's set us up as a professional organization. No one is selling any slurs or anything at uh, someone who works at the abortion clinic going in. And And, in fact, we're also able to offer through Abby Johnson's ministry, uh, and then there were none, were, were able to offer them a three-month grant. Any abortion uh, person who works in the abortion industry, a three-month salary grant if they decide to leave. So if wow. a person became, yeah, so if a person there is making like 5000 bucks a month, that's like you know $15,000 grant that um, we're able to give them to help them find another job. And it's it's a way in which we're we're saying, hey, we're not just here for the baby and for the mother. You know, we're also here to care for their spiritual needs and help them get out of the abortion industry. Wow, that now I have to ask, how well has that been received? Well, <laughs> by well, Abby Abby Johnson has Abby Johnson's on our board. She's a mm-hmm. former uh, 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 basically Planned Parenthood director, and, right. and being a, and, and so like she, this is this is kind of her whole side of things. And so far, she's had forty abortion clinic employees and an abortion doctor leave the industry under her ministry. And so you're definitely going to want to bring her on and uh, and get some of those stories out at some point. Oh, we definitely will. I have met Abby and spoken to her. And, you know, when we have – when the opportunity presents itself, we will have her on our show to talk more about that. I was specifically asking, um, you know, when you tell abortion clinics that you're going to be offering um, free – ultrasounds, normally I wouldn't think that they would receive that very well. And then on top of that, you're offering employees of their clinics to leave their jobs. Um, I wouldn't think that they'd receive that very well, but how, is, how has that been for you? Well, it's similar to the woman at the, uh, the pro-choice woman at the Apple store. It's kind of like, well, are you really pro-choice? Because we're not here to stop anybody from having an abortion. We're just offering the alternatives, and uh, 
one of the uh, one of the amazing stories that did come out of Dallas was that the abortion clinic there did refer a girl who changed her mind to our bus, and the girl specifically told us that that she was told on the phone that she could get some resources from us uh, after wow. she called them and decided to cancel. And so, it, we have a unique relationship with the abortion clinic. Um, it's not. I wouldn't say that they like love that we're there, but it's we we feel like a professional competitor uh, mm-hmm. to them rather than like a like an activist who's trying to shut them down. And so it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we would like them to go out of business. We're very clear about that, but we're not we're not there like uh, with picket signs or a picket line or anything. It's it's uh, really just a very approachable, gentle service that we provide. Well, that's nice to hear. Um, I, I love seeing all aspects and, and how people think about uh, the relationship, actually, of, of the pro-life advocate with, re, you know, according to the, the Planned Parenthood or the abortion clinic that uh, that really that we're talking about, you know, here in St. Louis, there's only one surgical abortion center in operation. However, they have a lot of satellite um, clinics that don't do surgical abortions. But um, I would think that something like a Save the Storks bus would be tremendously helpful parked outside one of those other facilities because, you know, those – the women that visit those Planned Parenthood clinics also probably need need ultrasounds. They get referred down to the surgical center, but that is also a drive. If, if people can save themselves a drive, save women a drive there and have immediate service, I would say there's a huge potential there. Um, so I'm just my mind is turning here, going, "Wow, what are, you know, what can we do with this? This is an awesome idea." Um, and so. So who do you have working on this with you? Yeah, well, in our organization, because we really want the money to go to the buses, is we only have one employee at Save the Storks. And mm-hmm. uh, when I presented to my our lawyer that we were going to have an employee, he immediately started working on the paperwork as though I was going to be the employee. But uh, <laughs> our, our employee is named Marcy, and uh, my wife and I are totally self-employed by our own online businesses. So it's a pretty small organization. There's just three people in the office and five other board members besides my wife and I. And right. it's a very small organization where we're able to pour our funds back into what we want to do. Uh, and we like, we'd like to keep it that way. We might take on another employee at some point uh, over the next year if we continue to grow at the speed we are. But uh, it's just a handful of people, and we like we like to look a little bigger than we are. Oh, sure, and and it looks fabulous. How can people find out more information if they want to know about it? Yeah, come to our website at savethestorks.com, and one of the ways that you can really uh, partner with us, especially with uh, Mother's Day coming around the corner, is anybody who partners with us uh, at just $7 a week or $28 a month, uh, we're giving away a pure silver stork necklace uh, as our gift, and the the jeweler who um, who made these necklaces normally charges about two hundred dollars for a piece this size, and we're able to give it to you as our gift uh, for just saving uh, one baby in one year, and that's wow. uh, that's a great gift. So if you come to our website, you'll see that on our gift page and uh, under saving one stork, and we would love for you to 
to join us uh, in, in the efforts and to partner with us in that way. It really is a partnership as soon as you uh, send those funds over. Uh, and you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, it helps us tremendously just to share what's on our page and to spread the news of, you know, what we're doing. Awesome. Well, I, I think this is a this is I know it's not a unique idea, but I think it's an idea whose time has come for many cities. So I, you know, I want to pray for you and to to thank God for what is happening with your your success so far that you've had so much positive response and four buses in a year wow that is that is amazing um it is and and i hope and i wish you and save the storks and all the all the blessings and all the success that god has for you and to save more lives i think um i think it is a strategy that 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 is blessed I really do. So I um, want to tell you that thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for coming on Pro-Life Fridays. I don't know if Thomas can hear me. Are you there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm okay. here. <laughs> okay. Um, I, did you have any questions for our guest today? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I just encourage them to get out and be active. Don't have right. any questions. All right. Um, well, thank you again, and uh, remember to to uh, keep us in mind as you you know tell other people that you've been on the show. We appreciate uh, just everything that you have uh, said on our show. We loved the interview. I loved the interview, and um, hope that that more people will learn about what you do. All right. Thanks so much, Leticia. All right. Thanks for being we'll on the show. Touch. All right. Bye. Yeah. And so, Thomas. Yes, ma'am. What do you think of? Can you see how? I mean, I'm excited. Can you see the vision if if every major city in the U.S. and I'm talking major city where where Planned Parenthood has targeted minority communities because minority communities tend to be pretty large in large cities as as direct competition. For those minority uh, abortion-minded women, right? Can you imagine what would happen to Planned Parenthood? I would. I see a massive shrinkage. Right. I agree. So, what are we going to do about it? Well, I. Well, one of the things that I was excited about is to bring, um, bring Save the Storks and onto our show and to talk about what they do, and I think it's. Because I had a vision, oh, you know, they provide ultrasounds. I thought, you know, they do provide this for pregnancy centers. But I thought maybe that they did this on their own. And they had a, like they said, they think they look bigger than they are. So I didn't know if they had an extensive staff where they hired an ultrasound technician to come um, deliver ultrasounds to women outside of abortion clinics or anything. Um, But the way they're doing it is fabulous. Um, what are we going to do about it? I think we need to continue to pay attention to organizations and mission statements who have their mission statement as helping women to make an informed choice when they're in crisis pregnancy, to continue to focus our attention on them 
and to attention, focus attention on the need to have informed consent. Right. We can talk about, we can talk about, and, and we do, we talk about the morality of abortion or the immorality of abortion and compare that, rightly so, to the slavery that occurs on on all all levels, the sex slavery, the sex trafficking, the African slavery in the past, it yep. is all fundamentally the same. But when people say, well, what are you really doing about it? I think when pro-life people, let's bring this around the circle, get together and then take action together, we can accomplish something we cannot accomplish alone in our individual groups. There is a synergy that is built. And when you're doing something as biblical and as right as saving lives, right. that has to be something that is divinely inspired. Uh, right. I, I don't know that, that human beings without, uh, without the grace of God would go out of their way to to establish a a bus I don't want to say it's a bus ministry because we're not busing kids to church, but establish a bus with an ultrasound machine in it and care that much to go and provide that for pregnancy centers who don't already have one. And and this is a new thing. This is a new, really new thing for pregnancy centers to do is to have a mobile ultrasound clinic. Letitia. Yeah, Thomas. Time for another moment of poignant clarity from me. And that boils down to this. When when the pro-life movement truly looks at things from a total standpoint of saving the life of babies, then money will not be an obstacle. What do I mean by that? A lot of times, because I've heard heard more than a few people say to me and when we were raising money for the conference, you know, pro-life money is, is, is thin. There's not a lot to go out there. And my question is, why is that? And so here, here's the question. thing. If you look at the the other side, they have billions of dollars that they can pump into their, into what, basically to pump into promoting the agenda of death. But an organization like Save the Starts, this conference, because we are seeking to do something that is biblically grounded and morally right, we have to struggle to, you know, to raise funds and stuff like that. Now, granted, um, Save the Start, they have, you know, they, they've been blessed to have, you know, a little star power connection behind their name. But even then, at the end of the day, it comes down to what is right and what is wrong. And to deliberately sit back and be apathetic when 
millions of babies are slaughtered all over the world. You know, we don't have a moral ground to stand on until we can truly get behind organizations like Save the Stark, like the Pro-Life Without Exceptions Conference, and I'm talking about from a monetarily standpoint of view, because you can talk the talk, but are you willing to walk the walk and put your money where your mouth is? That's true. And that's no segue, but I wanted to move into the stupidest thing of the day. Uh, the stupidest thing ever. I mean, <clears throat> that was somebody else's show. <laughs> stupidest Uh-oh. thing ever. And and that is this heated exchange between Lila Rose on Hannity and the ever articulate Tamara Holder. Let's go. They're ripping that baby up in utero. They're going to be injecting poison into the baby's heart. But sometimes the babies come out alive. And in this clinic, what the counselor is graphically describing is how this little baby, if it's moving or breathing when it's born alive, will be placed in a jar of toxin so it's like drowning to death. So, Tamara, is that or is that not? If this baby is born alive, does that not have constitutional protections to live? Look, I didn't create this law. It just so happens that that, uh, Leela went in at 23 and a half weeks to talk to this person, or technically she was 23 and a half weeks pregnant. When the law says at 24 weeks, at that point, then it's not a legal abortion. Okay, I'm not asking you that. What this doctor is describing, though, is that infanticide. No, it's not. It is not infanticide. No, because legally it is not. What they said is the whole purpose of the solution, if the baby is breathing, is to stop it from breathing. She said she it wouldn't said. be. No, she said it wouldn't be breathing. And between the two of them, they were talking said. about it. They were not talking about a baby. Oh, I think this woman just makes me want to shoot blood out of my eyes. Um, I don't. I, at the same time, I I think that it's great that Hannity has her on so that we can all see how how poorly and how outrageously a woman such as the pro-abortion defender as such as Tamara Holder actually tries to defend her position on television. But at the same time, I don't know how much mind-bending that I can take. It is not infanticide, she says. It's not, it's not, no, it's not, is this infanticide? No, it's not infanticide because by law, the, she defines an infant born alive as not an infant. So here we have that, we ha- let's go back in time and say, oh, the establishment of abortion, she'll say, or they'll say, a baby's not a baby if it's inside the womb. Now, a baby's not a baby if it's outside the womb. And a baby is not a baby anytime you don't believe it's a baby. And that is the dumbest thing ever. I mean, the stupidest thing ever. All right, did I lose you, Thomas? <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. I died out. What did there? you say? What did you I say? I died out. Oh, okay. All right. So I, I that that is what I wanted to share with people before we left today. 
And she goes on to say that um, that Lila Rose has is, is gotten fake. Those the videos of Inhuman are fake. They're made up. They're doctored. Now the thing. Now okay, let me deal with that part. It's they're fake. She goes on to say they're fake. First of all, you cannot fake someone who says, if the baby is born alive, we will do absolutely nothing to keep it alive. We will just allow it to die. It will die. Or if the baby is born alive, we will drop it into a jar of toxic toxic liquid so it will no longer be alive. You can't doctor anything to, to make it sound other than what it is. You can't make it sound better, and you can't make it sound worse. It is what it is. So, I mean, the fact that she says that these videos of of live action from live action are doctored doesn't help her, even if they are. How would you make that sound okay? How would you make make we're not going to help babies that are born alive sound okay? How do you make hospitals are stupid for for giving birth to live babies? How do you make that sound okay? You don't. You can't. So, I mean, Tamara Holder, I I just, uh, like I said, I'm glad she's around Fox News because she she helps me to understand the left is really as loony as it is. And on the other hand, I get tremendous migraine headaches from the, the sound of her voice. So, um, with that, if you have anything else, Thomas, let's go before I hit the button and we say goodbye to a wonderful episode, another wonderful episode of Pro Life Fridays. Well, let's see. What's the last thing that I have to say is the thing that I opened up with. Remember this. Why is That because my life was conceived under circumstances that a lot of pro-lifers and all pro-aborts deem less than desirable, Mm -hmm. why is it that you think, those of you who believe in exceptions, why do you believe that my life is expendable? When you can give me an answer to that, you might convert me to your view. Probably not. Well, I know absolutely not, but anyway, because I know you well, won't that, be able to convert me. That so question is always open. That question we are going to leave open for all time on our show. Anybody who wants to call in at any time during our broadcast and and, and answer that question yeah. is welcome to. All righty. All right, well, so we're going to say goodnight. Once again, great show. You hooked up the, I like that, the young man and then the gentleman from Save the Storks. That phenomenal interview. So. Oh, yeah. I love them both because they are so, they're, well, one of them is younger than the other. But the young man, Christian, we yeah. are going to see some awesome stuff from him, and I am so glad and willing to be a part of that as it comes down the pike. So have a good night, everybody. 
Come back next week for another Pro-Life Fridays radio here on Block Talk Radio. And we'll see you then. Good night.